I want to begin tonight by reading you an article that was forwarded to me. I was made aware of it, at least, by one of the brothers here in the church. It is a July the 28th, 2018 opinion article by Chris Songson of Fox News. Now, obviously, it was not in a Church of Christ periodical or anything like that. It was written, as I said, by a gentleman from Fox News. And it's entitled, Americans Still Believe in God, So Why Do So Many of Us See Church as Just Optional Rental Car Insurance? And I thought that was interesting because I myself have often wondered how people can view something that was so important to Jesus Christ that he was willing to come and die for it and they just see it as optional or it doesn't matter. So, I will tell you before I begin, once again, it is not from a Church of Christ periodical or even a religious writer as far as I know. And there are a couple of very big, glaring, biblical errors in it, which I will address immediately after I read the article. But, I think his central point is something that we can really use. And I think if I had taken the errors out, that it would have kind of detracted from the overall point. So... Let's just go ahead. I want to read it. And again, I wouldn't share this if I didn't think it was really important to us in today's religious climate. Here's his article. According to Pew Research, 80% of Americans believe in God. They may not agree on theology or church practices, but they believe in a higher power. At the same time, many statistics point to how church attendance is decreasing. It seems Americans are leaving the church, but not God. The question I'm wrestling with is why? Why are believers leaving church, but not faith? I'm sure there are many reasons, but I can't help but wonder if it's an age-old problem. As humans, we often put, this is where it gets really legitimate for us, as humans, we often put unrealistic and unhealthy expectations on things or people. When an expectation is unmet, it leads to hurt. As humans, we are built to avoid pain and seek comfort. When the church doesn't meet a person's expectations, it can be easy to give up on the church. And he's right. The thought is, I could just do this at home. Many treat church the same way as rental car insurance. as being optional. You know when you go to buy something, they'll say, would you like the extended warranty on that, you know, for another five or two? You know how then they do that? And most of us, or at least I just, no. You know, if it isn't quality enough to last me a year or two, why would I buy it in the first place? Is kind of where I am. But people see church as that optional. He continues. With the rise of podcasts and online sermons, the pull to attend a worship service is shrinking. The thought is, why go on Sunday when I can have instant access to content anytime I want? 
Not only that, but we have access to the Bible ourselves. At one point in history, a person had to attend church to learn about the Bible, but today, you can pull up a Bible on your phone and then Google any questions you have about it. Famed theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer elegantly called these unrealistic expectations the wish dream. In his book, Life Together, Bonhoeffer says, Every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community or the church is a hindrance to genuine community and it must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves his dream of a community or what he thinks church ought to be more than the Christian community in reality itself that person becomes a destroyer of the latter even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. Bonhoeffer's point is this, that unrealistic expectations destroy genuine community. When we expect, and I'm using his words here, when we expect a pastor to be at our beck and call, it is a wish dream. When we expect for church people to be perfect, it is a wish dream. When we expect to agree with everyone in the church, it is a wish dream. The wish dream destroys true community because we complain about what we don't like instead of plugging into what is right. He goes on. I fear many have unhealthy expectations about the church. You think that's true? There are issues in every church. Take it from somebody who's traveled a lot of this country. You know why there's problems in churches everywhere? Because churches are made up of human beings and human beings have problems. It's kind of the way it's designed. Let me continue before I start preaching here and we're here an hour. Listen. There are issues in every church. His words, not mine. There are annoying people. There are people who think differently. There are people in every church that you will not agree with. Instead of having true community, many have left the church because it's easier to worship God at home. The problem is, now this is coming from somebody who's not even a member of the church. The problem is that God did not wire us to be alone. We are truly better together. It is in community that we grow, are challenged, stretched, and inspired to truly live for Jesus. He says, it's messy, difficult, and at times frustrating. But it's so worth it. God works within community. Sure, you can believe in God and not go to church. One of the glaring errors here. You can also play sports by yourself, talk to yourself, and high-five yourself. Just because it's possible doesn't mean it's better. I love that line. His final paragraph. 
Life is meant to live with others in community. If you have given up on church but not on God, take a moment to revisit your wish dream. We all have one or have had one. Then ask God what he wants you to do next. My guess is he'll point you back to the church. I was sent that article, as I said, by a member of this congregation. I think he makes some very valid points, but first let's get rid of the ones that are biblical errors. First off, his three statements to the effect that Americans are leaving the church but not God, believers are leaving church but not faith, and sure you can believe in God and not go to church, are all biblically erroneous. And I'm going to show you why. I don't blame him. This is the constant thought in a lot of the religious world around us that, that you can leave the church, but you don't leave God. That you can leave the church, but you still can have faith. And that you can believe in God and not go to church. But all three of those are biblically erroneous. They're faulty, according to the scripture. Let's take a look. Open your Bibles tonight, if you would, to Colossians 1.18. We're going to take his three points here real quickly, and then we'll get to the good stuff. According to scripture... According to God, to leave the church is to leave Christ. Now I know people that leave the church don't want to accept that because they want to think they still got Christ. But you can't leave the Christ's church and take Christ with you when you go because guess what? Christ is in his church. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18. He's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. You can't leave the body of Christ, the church of Christ, behind and take the head of the body, Christ, with you. The head stays with the body. Does that make sense to everybody? The head, Jesus, stays with the body of Christ. Look in Colossians 2:18 and 19, you'll see this said again. In Colossians 2, 18 and 19, he says, Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, watch this, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. If you want Jesus, if you want to hold fast to the head, then you've got to stay with the body because the head is connected to the body. Colossians 2 and verse 19. See some of those TV shows where, you know, some lunatic dismembers, kills somebody and dismembers them and ships parts of them all over the world, you know, so they don't get caught one of those crime drama things, okay? The body's not alive because it's been dismembered. The body of Christ is alive because the head, Christ, is still with his body, the church. We could look in Ephesians 4, 14 through 16, see the same thing. All the church is, is growing together and working together, connected to the head Christ. Same thing. We come to Christ and his church as a unit, Hebrews 12, 22 through 24. And therefore to leave them is to leave both of them. Come to them together and you leave them together. Point number two. According to the scripture... To leave the church is to leave the faith. How does that work? We all know Romans 10 and verse 17. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We get, we get faith by reading in the word of God. That's where our faith grows. 
And James tells us that faith without works is dead, right? James chapter 2, starting at verse 16, running through about verse 24. Faith without works is dead. So, putting those two scriptures together, we need to read in the Bible what God wants us to do. Our faith grows. And then, when we do what God said, that, ex that shows our faith. Is that right? So, what does it say in the Bible that God wants us to do? Let me read you a list of verses. In the Bible, it says that God wants us to be together. Listen to this. You'll run through them fast, just listen. In Acts 2 and verse 44, all who believed were together, had all things in common. In Acts 4 verse 31 and Acts 12 and verse 12, the church was assembled together in prayer. In Acts 14 27, the whole church gathered together to hear the good news. In Acts 20, verses 7 and 8, on the first day of the week, the disciples came together to break bread. In Romans 15, 32, Paul wanted to be refreshed together with the church. 1 Corinthians 5, 4 says, When the church is gathered together in the name of the Lord Jesus, then the power of the Lord Jesus Christ is there. 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 33, we come together as a church to eat the Lord's Supper. Can't sit home and do that by yourself. You ought to come together to do that, according to Scripture. 1 Corinthians 14, 23 through 26, the whole church is to come together in one place to be edified, not sitting in their homes. Ephesians 2, 6, God raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And finally, and by the way, this is the short list. There was a longer one with the word together in it, but we'll just go with these. Ephesians 2, 21 and 2 says, The whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom we are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Now, if you get through all those scriptures, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And we must have the faith to do these works. Do we see in those texts that God wants his church together? Did that word come out in all of those? It better have, because that's why I selected those texts. So by faith, we cannot leave this assembling together behind and say that we still have faith, but we've left the church. Because by faith, when we read what God wants us to do, he wants us to be together with the church. So his statement... The people can leave the church, but not the faith, is biblically incorrect. And his third and final statement that I would take issue with based on Scripture. By the way, I have no problem with this man. I think he made an incredibly good point that we are going to get to in just a moment. But thirdly and finally, if we truly believe in God, it would be terrifying. Terrifying to ever forsake the assembly, that is to leave the church for any reason, Hebrews 10, 23-31, which I will not take the time to read, but Hebrews 10, 23-31 talks about how we should not forsake the assembly, and right after that, in the very next verse, in verse 26, talks about how sinning willfully leaves us with no defender on the day of judgment, but only a fearful expectation of fire that will consume the adversaries. God understands, and we must too, that to forsake the assembly would be a terrifying thing. Now, having said that, just for the sake of being clear, let's move on to the main point that is outstanding. Outstanding and so essential for us to understand. 
The other stuff he said is really good. And we need to understand it for those members who maybe have walked away. For those who might. His point is outstanding. Here we go. He said, As humans, we often put unrealistic and unhealthy expectations on things or people. When an expectation is unmet, it leads to hurt. As humans, we are built to avoid pain and seek comfort. When the church doesn't meet a person's expectations, it can be easy to give up on the church. Expectations will get you, if they're unreal. You've probably heard me tell this before, but I'll use it again tonight. Used it in the marriage seminar in Shoto over the last couple of years. But you take this man, take this man, and this is who he is, okay? Whatever this level, scale of 1 to 10, 0 to whatever, he's right here. This is who he is. He's about here on the scale. What he's capable of, giving, loving, all that he is is right here. And so he gets married, and this woman, his wife expects far more out of him than he is capable of giving. Is she happy or miserable? She's miserable. She's miserable because her expectation is so much higher than he can possibly be that she's always going to be miserable because she's always expecting more. Now, take that same man, same position, and instead of marrying this woman, he marries this woman whose expectations are only this high. Is she going to be happy or miserable? She's going to be ecstatic. Because he so far exceeded her expectations that she can't believe how blessed she is. This woman can't believe how bad she's got it. This woman can't believe how, how wonderful she's got it. And they're married to basically the same guy. See what expectations will do to you? And we do that in church sometimes too. So... Bonhoeffer's idea that we all have this expectation of what other people in the church should be. We have this wish dream. It's a fantasy. You know, sometimes, maybe, you know, guys, when you're young, you think, well, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to marry this woman, and, and she's going to look just like, you know, these knockout stars on TV, these airbrushed, medically altered... No, she's not. Well, maybe she is, but she ain't going to look that way forever. Some of you young ladies that get married, you know, you might think, wow, you know, he's always going to look like an NFL linebacker because that's what they show on. No, he ain't. Not if he lives long enough, he ain't. That's a fantasy. It ain't going to work. Guys, when you get married, do never say to your wife, well, that's not the way mama used to do it. That is a wish dream. <laughs> that is an unreal expectation. That is a fantasy. Do not do that. It's unrealistic is the point. She may make something a whole lot better than mama used to make. But the point is, is don't be unrealistic in your expectations. Here's why, brethren. Unrealistic expectations lead to unmet expectations, which lead to nothing but broken relationships. You with me on this? Even when those relationships are essential to eternal life. The author of this article goes on to say, when we expect a pastor, and this could be an elder, a preacher, any church leader, when we expect a pastor to be at our beck and call, it's a wish dream. And it is. What would you do if you were a preacher in a congregation of 200 people, or you were an elder, or an elder's wife, preacher's wife, in a congregation of 200 people, 
and every one of them was very needy. Would you be able to fulfill all of their expectations? Everybody wants you, and everybody's individual problem is the most important problem on the entire planet to them. Could you fulfill all of that? Could you? This means yes, this means not one more time. Could you do it? No, you couldn't. You know what? Elders, deacons, preachers, their wives, church leaders, guess what? They're all human too. Every last one of them. They are not robots. They are not puppets. They are not genies in a bottle that you can just rub the bottle and boom, they are there to perform your every wish. They are not people without feelings. Church leaders get angry. They get their feelings hurt. If any of you in this room, be honest, have you ever been frustrated? Raise your hand. Guess what? If you had elders, they'd have just raised their hands too. If you had elders' wives, they'd have just raised their hands. I'm preacher, I'm telling you, I get frustrated too. Every church leader at times gets angry, frustrated, feels alone, just like everybody else. They are weak, flawed human beings. They are saved only by the grace of God, co-workers in the kingdom of God, just like everybody else. I've always had this, and I, I'm reminded of it in sermons like this. I've got to read it to you. I think I've read it to you once before, but just real quickly, just... Just listen. It's called the perfect preacher. I've had it for years. Speaking of unreal expectations. The perfect preacher preaches exactly ten minutes each and every Sunday. He condemns sin roundly, but he never hurts anybody's feelings. He works from 8 a.m. until midnight, in office and at home, and is also the church janitor. The perfect preacher makes $40 a week, wears good clothes, drives a good car, pays his own insurance, and donates $35 a week to the church. He is 29 years old and he has 40 years worth of experience. He is incredibly dynamic, highly intelligent, fiercely passionate, and of course above all he is drop dead handsome. Listen to some of these. He smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a great sense of humor. He makes 15 home visits a day and is always in the office to be handy when needed. The perfect preacher always has time for all church functions. He never misses the meeting of any church event for his home or any other congregation within 100 miles while always busy evangelizing the unchurched in the local community. His family never struggles with sin, loneliness, or the loss of any kind because he's the perfect head of his perfect home. The perfect preacher is always in the next church over. And I like that little parody because it points out the fact that sometimes we have unreal expectations, but folks, it ain't just on the preacher. So often we have unreal expectations about one another. He says in his article, when we expect for church people to be perfect, it's a wish dream. When we expect to agree with everyone, it's a wish dream. The wish dream destroys true community because we complain about what we don't like instead of plugging into what is right. You know, sometimes 
we forget that everybody else in the church, every other person in the pews, is just as weak, just as tired, just as tried, fried, tempted, frustrated, struggling with burdens, carrying their crosses, and preoccupied with life and its struggles as we are. You know, we want everybody to treat us like the world revolves around us, but you know, everybody else is in the struggles that they're in in their world too. Now I can go home and cry like a baby. So-and-so didn't speak to me today. Maybe so-and-so's being struggled, being, being crushed under the weight of their personal struggles. They haven't bothered to share with anybody. Do you ever think of that? How many of you in this room? Don't raise your hands. Just think about it. How many of you in this room have had an off day and you've come to church sometime in, in your life and maybe you haven't been as friendly as you have other days because you're just burdened? You know what? Everybody that's sitting around you has probably had the same kind of day. At some point or another. We have this fantasy that, that you know, people are just going to be perfect all the time and they're going to do so much more. You know, we often expect way more out of others than we are willing to put forth ourselves in service to them. Did you know that? Jesus talked about a double standard in Luke 6 and verse 38. He talked about how, you know, with the measure you use, it's going to be measured back to you. And sometimes we have this double standard for everybody else. We're not going to do it, but we expect them to do it. But they are just as human and tired and fried and frustrated with life and struggling as we are. Let me give you an example. Sometimes... We may have the opportunity to speak with some of those who have left the church. And they may be angry about a lot of things. But one of the things that, that I have found is that sometimes when people leave the church, they're angry that other church people did not check in on them. And yet... When they were here and other people left, how many of them did they check on when they were sitting here? See, we have a double standard. We can come in and, and be the last one in and not say hi to anybody and not speak to anybody and take a seat out of everybody's sight and be the first one out the door and then go home and complain nobody spoke to us. You think that's funny? I, yeah, it is. Okay, fair enough. But you know what else? They say for good humor, to be really humorous, it needs an element of truth. There's an element of truth in that. I'm not speaking to nobody else, but they'd better speak to me or those church people are awful. That's a double standard. If you're going to walk away and complain that nobody visited you, how many did you go visit when they walked away? If you're going to complain that nobody cared about you, how many did you care about when you were sitting in the pews? If you're going to complain that you were in a hospital and nobody came to visit you, how many people did you go and visit when they were in the hospital? Where's the standard here, folks? For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. That brings us to the biggest and most important and relevant point of his entire article, the one that I'm going to focus on lastly, when he said, I fear many have unhealthy expectations about the church. It's not perfect. 
There are issues in every church. There are annoying people. Newsflash, if you didn't know, there's annoying preachers. And I can says it because I can. There are people who think differently. There are people in every church that you will not agree with. However, we are truly better together. Listen to these last two lines. It is in community that we grow, are challenged, stretched, and inspired to really live for Jesus. It is messy, difficult, and at times frustrating, but it is so worth it because God works within community. Think about this. Really focus on those last two lines. Think about this. Do you really want God to work in your life? Yes or no? Yes. Do you want God to transform you into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ? 2 Corinthians 3, 16 and 7. Yes. Do you really desire to grow and be more like Christ every day? Do you? Yes. If you don't, then go ahead and leave the church. And you won't have to worry about any of those things happening. But if you answered those questions, yes, hear me loud and clear, you can't do those things without being involved with the church. You can't. And I'm going to tell you why. You cannot truly live... How many of you said you wanted to live like Jesus? Just I don't see a show of hands. Right? Okay. You cannot truly live like Jesus if you are not constantly around, involved with, and pouring yourself out in service to some of God's proudest, most stubborn, and self-centered people on the planet. That's what Jesus did. You want to be like Jesus? Jesus worked with the ungrateful, the unkind, the critical, the corrective. That's who Jesus worked with. You want to be like Jesus? He was right in the middle of them. Remember John 13? They all come in for this big supper. They've been arguing about who's the greatest. Jesus comes in and none of them, they've all got so much pride. They're certainly not going to wash anybody's feet. So they all come in and they sit down at the table and, and Jesus gives them plenty of time and after the meal is over, he gets up from the table, he goes over and he takes off his outer garment, he gets down and he washes their feet. He washes the feet of Peter who's going to betray him, who's going to deny him three times. Judas who's going to betray him, he washes the feet of all these men that are going to flee from him. And then look what he says in John 13, 34 and 5. Look what he says, turn over there, even if you know it, please. John 13, 34 and 35. Look what he says after he does that. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. He said, the only way the world's going to know is if you are willing to love one another the way I just did when I got on my hands and knees and washed your feet. And brethren, you cannot get your hands that dirty, loving and serving the people of God long distance, or if you have decided to walk away from the people of God in the first place. Can you?
Jesus was right in there with them. You cannot truly learn to love and forgive like Jesus. We all said we wanted to. But you cannot truly learn to love and forgive like Jesus until and unless you continually allow yourself to be in the closest and most vulnerable proximity possible to being hurt, betrayed, and abandoned by the very people of God who should know better. Now think about that. If you want to learn to love and forgive like Jesus, you cannot forgive like Jesus until somebody hurts you, until somebody abandons you, until somebody betrays you, until some of the people of God who ought to know better, should the Pharisees have known better, what did they do? Put him on a cross. Were they God's people at that point in time? When they put him on the cross, were they, God, were they his God's people? Yes. You cannot truly be like Christ at a distance from people who will abandon you, reject you, and betray you. Jesus was not miles and miles and miles away from them. He came right into their midst. You cannot become Christ-like at a distance from Christ's people. Until you are in proximity to being hurt, betrayed, and abandoned by God's people who should know better. John 1 and 11. It is only by our continually living and loving and working and serving and hurting and worshiping and forgiving and fellowshipping together in the framework of the church shoulder to shoulder and side by side that we can experience God truly honing us and teaching us and training us to make us fit for heaven. Do you plan to be in heaven with the people of God? Every person of God should say yes. But you see, if we can't stay together and work together and serve together and love together and worship together and fellowship together and, and forgive one another and do the things that Christ taught us to down here, what makes us think that we're going to be able to up there? And that tells me somebody ain't going to make it. We cannot claim to have or love the Lord, to keep the faith, or obey God's commandments to love one another, receive one another, greet one another, be kind to one another, have peace with one another, have fellowship with one another, bear with one another, submit to one another, bear one another's burdens, exhort, edify, and comfort one another, wash one another's feet, forgive one another's faults, through love serve one another, minister to one another, and speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs if we are not together. Can't be done. Can't be done. It is only through working and fellowshipping and being in company of other human beings who are just as mixed up and messed up and flawed and selfish as we sometimes are, it's only then that we can learn to be more like Jesus. Brethren, I realize sometimes we have to lower our expectations, don't we? If we don't, we're not going to survive. Look what he says in Colossians 3. It's only together we can do this. Final verses of the night. Colossians chapter 3. Beginning at verse 12. 
You can't do this by getting away and staying away from the assembly and the people of God. You can't. Look what he says you got to do. Colossians 3.12, Therefore is the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord and whatever you do in word or deed do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him you cannot do what he told them to do in the church of Christ in first century Colossae sitting home by yourself worshiping on Sunday morning you can't do it want to be more like Jesus well ready to enter that heavenly home it's not easy Never was. Jesus told you. You know, the way is narrow. It's not easy. I want to close with this thought. If there is a brother, a sister, or the church at large that has really hurt you in the past, Maybe it's time, if you're carrying that burden, to lower your expectations and realize that they're no more perfect than you are. Maybe it's time to lower your expectations rather than raise a ruckus. Because if we're going to be around the throne up there singing and serving and worshiping together, then we are going to have to learn to love and live and serve and forgive with other flawed messed up, sometimes selfish, sometimes frustrated people down here. If there's any of you in this room tonight that's perfect, you don't belong here. Because the rest of us are here because we need Jesus Christ. Is that right, church? I need Jesus. You know why I need Jesus? Because I ain't perfect. I'm just a human being. And if I expect too much out of you, or you expect too much out of me, maybe we'd all be a little happier if we'd lower our expectations and realize we're dealing with people just like we are. Offer this in love. Let's move on and serve and love and live and forgive together the way Jesus designed it. Let's not have unrealistic expectations of one another. All that's going to do is cause us pain. The lesson is yours. If you will be baptized into Christ, you need the prayers of the church. Please come to the front as we stand and sing.